So if you've got a Bible, you want to be turning to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. I think this morning in some ways is going to be kind of like a vision talk. It's going to be talking about, in that sense, something what Ian was mentioning, the journey that we're on as a church. And let me read the verses to you, chapter 6 and verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in, the, and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You might be saying, what is the mission of this church? What on earth are we here for? (laughs) What are we doing? Are we just a bunch of people, we live our normal lives and every, every Sunday we just come together to, to worship and to hear something and then we go back to our normal lives. I think actually the Bible would say we're here as a sent people to bring cultural transformation. Jesus said to pray, let it be on earth as it is in heaven. Your mandate is to increasingly see earth touched by the realities and the flavour of heaven. That's your commission, that the areas that we live in, the places that we work in, the families that we're part of, the communities that we belong to, all these aspects increasingly become flavoured by the flavour of heaven. That's the mission of the church. Sometimes the church um, in general has had a what can only be described as a bunker mentality, you know, like a wartime bunker. We, we went to visit a wartime bunker actually in half term in Dover where they dug tunnels into the Dover cliffs to protect strategy and the soldiers and key people from, from bombs. It was a bunker. People went in there to escape the bombs and sometimes we can think the church is like a bunker that there's this big bad world out there and we huddle together away from it in a kind of protective bunker called the church just hoping that we might get through life without being naughty (laughs) and then that becomes the high point you know I wasn't naughty this week I was I got to the bunker Uh, we huddled together we looked out for one another in the bunker out of fear of failure out of fear of Mistakes stay away from the world. Or it can be that our high watermark is we just did everything to please him. <laughs> we went to all the meetings. Oh, we, 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 we read all the verses we were told to read and we prayed all the prayers we were told to pray and that somehow is the high watermark. That we're in our bunker, not being naughty and doing everything we know to please God. And these verses in Ephesians are really saying actually God has a much higher, more radical, transforming call upon absolutely every believer. That's why he talks about 
husbands and wives, and he talks about children and parents, and he talks about employers with their people they're employing, and he talks about slaves, and he talks about how to honour your master. He talks about every facet, every element, every aspect of society, and says, I want every part of your relationships to be flavoured by the kingdom of God and the rule of heaven and to be flavoured by the government of God. In other words, our families to look more like heaven, our marriages to have the peace of heaven, our workplaces to increasingly become touched by God and touched by his rule and touched by his kingdom, the way we are with our children to be touched by the realities of heaven. In other words, he wants love that overflows and joy that abounds. He wants to see uh, peace that subdues and patience that endures and justice and health and hope. He wants to see, in other words, he wants to see the kingdom of God come to Plumstead. That's what God's heart is, to come to Thamesmead, to come to Abbeywood, Belvedere, to come to all the places that we come from that the things of God would manifest more and more. When God told Adam and Eve to you know, cultivate the garden, it meant actually their job description was yeah, to name the animals, but also to extend the outreach of Eden, to subdue. And so part of our role, as it were, is to bring more and more of solutions to chaos and answers to problems and peace where there's restlessness and hope where there's hopelessness and joy where it's downcast. And it's in this mandate of an ever-increasing kingdom and expanding the kingdom that we come into contact with what Paul describes as spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I want us to see that actually we come into the um, territory of stuff that's evil and, and the schemes of the enemy because we're an advancing people. Because actually we're a subduing people. Because our mandate is to see more of heaven invade every single location. And so because of that, it means in our advancement, we will face problems. And we will face areas that are chaos. And we will face areas that are not full of hope and full of joy and full of peace. Because actually we are to bring that to those places. Sometimes we can feel, we can look at our society and think, what's going wrong and we can be desperately fearful of it well could it be that the hope of the world the church is not bringing the solutions of heaven to those areas mm. and actually we're to see when problems impact us that actually God wants us to find solutions in him and wisdom in him some of the things that bug us and annoy us are the stirrings of God to bring solutions to those things from God from heaven and so he says for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul is saying, really, in our commission to expand the kingdom, we are not wrestling against people. We're not wrestling people. And so... We're never in our outlook as a church to say we are a victim of a particular people group or we are a victim of government or in our homes we might think 
I'm a victim of my husband or I'm a victim of my wife. And I know I'm not undermining human responsibility and human sinfulness and wickedness. And there are manifestations in people that um, are sinful and are abhorrent and are awful. But Paul is saying, actually, I want you to see a little higher than that, that there's another thing operating even above the person. Yeah, they're responsible. Yeah, they've got a will. Yeah, they're making decisions that are at times evil and vile and hatred. But there's another system that's at work as well above them. So actually, your ultimate battle is not against people. It's not against the people in your workplace, in your office, in your family, your, your children or circumstances or people in your classroom. There's something else operating above that. And so there's a great liberation in those verses to say, I'm not a victim of anybody. We can say that I'm not a victim of anybody. I'm not under victimhood of any person. But actually I'm able to see there is something else going on. That spiritual advance is first of all spiritual. Kingdom advance is first of all a spiritual advance. That's what these verses are saying. That to transform an area, you first of all need spiritual solutions. Because the issues are spiritual issues. You could pump millions and millions and millions into our communities and not touch the core issue that's a spiritual issue that's right. you can produce projects, I'm not dismissing anything of these things, they're fantastic projects are great and, they, and, and so many people do so many good works in society and there's so much common grace in government and in charities I'm not dismissing any of those things but it never gets to the core of the real issue because the real core issue is spiritual it's an orphan planet filled with orphans who don't know that God's a really good father, who are trying to struggle to find an identity Amen. and security Amen. from all these different places. That then gets manifest sometimes in the hatred of one group over another group, or fear of one group over another group, when actually the solution is a spiritual solution. So, this is where we're going we're gonna to look at one thing and we're going to look at another thing because sometimes we can get fearful about these verses we can get fearful about that take your stand against the devil's schemes for our struggle is not against flesh and blood and against rulers against the authorities against the powers of this dark world against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm sometimes that can fill us with anxiety and fear because sometimes what's happened is we've made a, a really really big devil and a tiny tiny little god and then we get really, really fearful of him and his schemes and his wiles and his methods and his strategies. And that then drives us back to the bunker. So on one hand, we need to be aware of his schemes. We need to be aware that there are schemes at work in our families, in our communities. But at the same time, not being fearful that we retreat into a bunker mentality of, I'm terrified that I'm going to be got. I've seen that fear in people who had a call of God on their life but said this, I will never go to the front line because at the front line you get shot. And so lived a retreated, fearful, anxious life that was below the high calling that this person had out of fear of the enemy and out of fear of what the enemy could do. I think Paul in these verses is saying, I don't want you to be unaware that your battle is not against flesh and blood, it's against these principalities and powers. But I don't want you either to live in anxious retreat of fear. So that's what we have to get right. 
So our mission, to quote whatever that movie is, if you choose to accept it, Mission Impossible. <laughs> Although all things are possible, okay, so we will <laughs> So it's uh, you know, not Mission Impossible in that sense. But though Ethan Hawke, or Ethan, whatever his name is, he does seem to always find a way, doesn't yeah, he? That's right. okay. <laughs> so if we take Plumstead, what Paul is saying here is this is that these principalities and powers have schemes, tailor-made strategies and methods, specifically for Plumstead. He's saying that there's something organised in the heavenly realms that is out to destroy and ruin and spoil a whole area. There are schemes in this area. And interesting, if you go to different places, you find different schemes. He's got a kind of method for every people group. So we lived in a very, very middle-class area, a really rich area, and there were different schemes in that area. And the schemes there were, we're a nuclear family, we handle it all on our own, we've got enough money, we've got enough resources, we just need a little bit of Jesus because he's good for the kids. It it was a scheme of independence, self-reliance, we can do it on our own, and whatever we need to do, we'll chuck money at it, because money's the answer to everything. That's a strategy, and it's a method and it's actually demonic because actually the issue is spiritual. And so, in this area and in different areas, there will be tailor-made methods, strategies of devious intent to lure and entice with objectives to ruin. That's reality. When we moved here, one of the first things we heard repeated many, many times is that it won't work here. It won't work here. Which, when you hear it a lot of times, you start thinking, oh, that must be a strategy then that's birthed in this area is hopeless. Mm-hmm. Nothing can change here, or phrases like nothing good will ever come out of Plumstead. Mm-hmm. That actually is a manifestation of a strategy and a method to undermine an area from its true identity of believers who actually can transform an area. Yeah. Strategies like that can come into, into religion of he's a really, really scary devil retreat, retract, go in a bunker. That can hold back thousands of believers from their rightful identity as cultural transformators out of fear. So our calling then is to displace that and bring transformation to that by a superior method of a superior kingdom that has far greater wonderful resources and greater promises. Francis Frangipane, a writer on this, he argues it's like the principalities and powers are broadcasting a message into a whole area, into a whole geography. Messages like, it's hopeless, it won't work, you can't do it, nothing will ever change, you're too weak, you're too frail, you you can't do it. And it then gets manifest in people. And he says the only way you can change a broadcast or a signal or a message is you have to get a superior message. Because <laughs> you can't shout at it. I do believe this. I don't think you can... I think the demonic can be cast out of people, but I don't know if you can cast the principality out of an area through just shouting at it. Mm-hmm. You, you, I, in all, my humble opinion is you can fast as long as you want and you can shout at it as long as you want, 
but it's not going to budge until a superior message gets lived out by a people who know who they are. Yeah. That's Amen. my personal opinion. Amen. And I'm not against prayer, and I love prayer, and I love communion with God, and I love all those things. But I wonder sometimes that, that in our fear of principalities and power, we've become almost superstitiously trying to move it out and cut it out of our area by screaming and shouting when actually the only way it can really be moved is a people who believe the Bible and believe God's assessment of all things and say actually I'm not going to come under that yeah. who says it won't work, actually I can do all things through Christ, it yeah. will work Amen. so I think that's how it happens and all transformation is birthed in identity all transformation is birthed in, in identity it's not birthed in performance yes. you see one of the strongholds in our area is it doesn't matter and so how does that get manifest well it doesn't matter if I dump my sofa here or I drop the rubbish here or if I go behind that hoarding and just dump all my stuff because it doesn't matter because this, this place is, is awful anyway and who cares well it does matter because I think environment is part of the kingdom of God <laughs> Actually, God gave us all things to enjoy, and we can't enjoy it if there's litter everywhere. Personal feeling, I think, is. Mm. But to displace that, yeah, you can go out and pick up all the rubbish, which I think is a great thing we can do. But it's not just about working hard to address a problem with a performance. We have to know who we are. Mm. So all real, lasting cultural transformation comes from hearts that realise who they are. Yeah. And so that's why Paul says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. This is the absolute key to displacing, to transformation. It's not you being strong in yourself. Yes. It's not us doubling our efforts and trying really, really hard to be something that we don't believe we're not. It's actually realising who we are, letting, it, letting the penny drop in our own hearts. I am a son or daughter of the living God. Amen. The King of Glory has taken up residence in my heart. Mm. And we can see, if you read these verses, just just so amazing in chapter 2, or chapter 1. He says, when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is evoked, not only in the present age but also in the one to come, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness, who, the fullness of, of him who fills, fills everything in every way. Yeah. He's, Jesus is above Every heavenly realm above all rule and authority, power and dominion. And we're to be strong in him. See, I think when we forget who we are, we get fearful. And when we get fearful, we get, sometimes we get superstitious, trying to make it happen. Amen. But when we know who we are, the one who is above every scheme has taken up residence in our heart. So you and I, believer, we are temples of the Holy Spirit. Where we go, he goes. You want to know where God is? We are his address. You want to go and find God? Well, he lives in my heart. He's taken up residence in me. And this Jesus, this glorious king who suffered the indignation and humiliation of the cross, is now raised up into the place of exaltation and glorious power and has all authority, all might over every single principality and power. It's Jesus. 
So the enemy might be broadcasting schemes and strategies and methods for destruction, but the one who's above it all, the superior one, has taken up residence in my heart. Now, if you can get us believing the lie that we're nothing, and, and we cowardly live timidly, his only power is a lie. Because he does not want us to wake up to the truth. We can be strong in God, and we can be strong in his might. So it's not our strength, but his strength in our inner man. We are enormously advantaged in this wonderful kingdom, in this wonderful war to see the kingdom of heaven established here. To quote Graham Cook, it's not really a fair fight. It's not really a fair fight, because we are those who Christ has taken up residence in. We are enormously advantaged. We have unlimited resources within our hearts. His magnitude, his authority, his power. So it's not so much warfare, but to quote John Crowder, it's joyfare. It's not so much walking terrified, it's walking full of joy, walking full of hope, walking full of expectation, walking full of the pleasure of knowing I'm delighted in and he delights in me. That's how we're going to advance the kingdom. It's a whole bunch of believers waking up to who they really are. Amen. Christ is in me and I'm in Christ. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm waking up. The Christ is in me. The hope of glory is in me. The same power that rose Christ from the dead has taken up residence in me. Amen. So when I lay hands on the sick, my expectation increasingly is they're going to recover. Because the Christ has taken up residence. He said, if you believe, these things are going to follow you. These are the signs, they're going to follow you too. It's not striving to become something. It's not gritting our teeth to get a little bit more courageous. It's falling in love. It's being ruined by his goodness. It's believing who you are. It's knowing you're absolutely forgiven. Another scheme of the enemy can be this. I'm just going to get you running around the hamster wheel. Run, run, run. Run, run, run. If you run enough, he'll like you. If you run enough, he'll like you. If you run enough, he might like you. If you run enough, he might be good to you. Run, run, run. Christ is finished. What am I running on a hamster wheel for? You've duped me. You've tricked me. You've lied to me. I'm already seated with Christ in heavenly places. I'm already blessed with every spiritual blessing. I'm not running on any wheel for you. Again, I love what Graham Cook says. He says, in our rest in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, we can wear the devil out. (laughs) Not because we're binding and shouting and loosing and screaming, but because we're just believing who we already are. His mighty strength is a dynamic catalyst, a dynamic thing that starts and brings transformation. (laughs) I had this picture up the other day. You know those weddings where you see the champagne flutes and they just cascades and it fills all of them. That in the new birth, in coming to Jesus, in trusting in the cross and the resurrection and getting a revelation that it's just through Christ and Christ alone, you get a brand new heart. And his kingdom starts to 
starts to bubble up within us as we believe more and more the truth of who we really, really are. And that begins to overflow that first glass. You want to know how to transform your family. Believe what he says about you already. Believe who you are. Let that glass get overfilled and start to go over the edges into your family. Start to recognise that my war is not with you. Actually, I'm just going to make sure that I'm keeping myself in the love of God. I'm going to let the grace of God teach me to say no. I'm going to let Holy Spirit rub off on me. So love and joy and peace become my language. Amen. And then it begins to overflow. And you begin to transform even the tiniest environment. Maybe it's the environment between you or your husband and your wife. And you and your children. And it's just your home is becoming fragrance more and more by the rest of heaven, by the peace of heaven. And then you go to work and there's something else at work in your heart. The might and the strength and the goodness of God. You're meditating on what's already true. It's like when you got saved, it was like Christmas morning. All of your Christmas mornings in one moment. Now you get to spend the rest of your life opening all the presents that he's already deposited in your life. And so as you do that, you think, who am I? And who are you? And what have you done? And I'm already seated with you. You're already in me. I've got the fullness of God within me. You're closer than the air that I breathe. You're closer than the skin on me. You're always near me. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Not my bad days can. And even my best weeks get me no closer. I was always loved. You loved me when I was an enemy. When I was dead in my sins, you loved me. When I was awful you loved me when I was a rebel and far you did the greatest act of love you could ever have done wow you are so loving God and you just live in the love of God live in the goodness of God getting hope and expectation for every situation and you become the most hopeful person in your office and as someone once said, the, most, the person with the most hope has the most influence. It doesn't matter whether you're at the top of the tree in your workplace or you feel you're at the bottom. You get hope that overflows by the power of the Holy Spirit. Something is going to happen. And so you realise, I'm not just the thermometer in my environment. I'm a thermostat. I get to set the temperature wherever I go. I'm not just... A prophetic thermostat realising, yeah, Plumstead's a difficult area. Well, anybody could have said that. Be a thermometer, be a thermostat that sets the temperature. And and it gets in your heart, you start to think, wow, I can can set the hope levels of this area. I I can be part of bringing hope into hopelessness, part of a cry that says it will work. It does matter. Things can change. Men can live here ten years longer than they do in Bexley Heath. That's not justice, it can change. Men live here ten, live ten years less in this area because of lots of reasons, like I said, health and food and lots of reasons of diet. God, that the kingdom come and solutions come to those things. It matters. And so we can become that. And a church community where all of us get increasing hope, we become like a greenhouse of hope and expectation. That people walk in, we've already got testimonies of it, people walking in in hopelessness and hope gets birthed in their heart. Yeah. In an environment yeah. where there's a people who are beginning to believe and wake up to who they really, really are. Yeah. And it's like a greenhouse in the middle of a community. But then that begins to spill out Amen. and into our community, into our offices, into our workplaces, into all these places. And let me finish by saying this. It happens in this way. 
You being you. You being you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. It's going to look different for every single person. You don't have to be in a box. We love, we're learning to love treasure hunting, okay? <laughs> it's challenging. You don't have to be in that particular thing. But find out yourself. What does it look like when I'm alive? What does it look like when I'm full of God? Does it come out in this way or that way or hospitality or does it come out in mercy gifts and justice? Does it come out in leadership? Does it come out in I want to just get on the street and pray for the sick? Does it come out in gentle acts of kindness at work where you just love and you're there for people? What does it look like? This is just mercy, compassion. How does it look? You don't have to be in a box and say cultural transformation, the kingdom coming has to look like this person or that person. It needs to look like you. There's never been a you or me on the planet in the whole history. Never. God has never had the opportunity he's got right now to display his glory. It's only because you're alive. There's a, there's a unique opportunity that God has right now with you in partnership to display his glory, his manifold wisdom, in a way that he's been, as it were, longing for and looking for and excited about. But that opportunity gets lost if we conform and say it has to look like this. I say let it get birthed in the secret place of God. Let it get birthed in delight, in worship, in loving God. Let it get birthed in intimacy and connection with God. And God will place things on your heart and you'll see things maybe you've never seen before. Worship him, love him, trust him. Let me invite you to stand. We're going to finish there. See, the whole thing is about being with Jesus. The whole thing is about being with Jesus. There was a couple, last year we dropped the girls off in France to go to their grandparents for a few days. And on the way back, M25 was crazy. It took, it took two hours to do 200 metres. We had so much fun because we're just together. And everything was funny and it was slow and frustrating and the traffic was clogged. I mean, we knew we were going to get there, but it was just taking a lot longer than we thought. See, in the end, it's about being in the car with Jesus, being with him. We, we, hear, your, we hear his commission saying, this is where I'm taking you to. I'm taking you to make a difference to this world, to this society, to your family, to your workplace. Uh, and, but we're going to do it together because Jesus is the destination. Jesus is the goal. <laughs> it's to be with Jesus. And if he takes a long time or he wants to do it quickly, well, that's up to you, Jesus. But I want to do it with you. I want to be with you. I want to hear your voice. I want to be obedient. And if these seeds grow quickly or slowly, as long as I'm with you, that's got to be okay because you're the goal. Your kingdom is a wonderful, wonderful thing, but the kingdom is an overflow of this relationship with you. And I would just say that, enjoy being with him in the car. If it's slower than you thought and it's more clogged than you thought and you thought it would have happened quicker than it has, 
Just say, as long as I'm with you, Jesus, it's going to be okay. And actually, in that place of yielded surrender, one of the things he sometimes does is he accelerates stuff because he thinks, I can now trust you with much more because I know you won't idolise it. I know you're not going to worship that. I know you're not going to put your confidence and your trust in that because I know actually in this secret place we've forged a connection. Actually, I can trust you with more than you could have ever asked or imagined. So we just lift our hands now. Just God, we just say we want to fall more and more in love with Jesus. We want to be absolutely ruined by your love. We, we want to delight in you and rejoice in you and say, wow, you're such a glorious king. You're the pearl of great price. We love you, God. We love your goodness. We love your delight. We love your pleasure. We love your thoughts. We love the finished work of the cross and all that you've done for us. And we say, let a fire burn, God. Let a fire of passion for Jesus. Just burn and burn and burn and burn and burn. Out of rest, out of overflow, out of just being with you, out of you sharing your heart with us, Father. We just say things are going to happen. Things will happen. Things will change. And God, if it's one generation passing to another generation, it doesn't matter as long as we're passing the baton at a higher level than we took it in the first place, God. We just delight in you, God. We delight in you, God. Thank you, yeah. yeah, let the love of God just be convinced of the love of God. Be convinced of the cross of Christ. Be convinced of the finished work. There's no shame for you. He's not disappointed with you. He's not angry with you. He's not frustrated with you. He loves you. He's the father of the prodigal son. He goes running out to you, running out to me. He absolutely thinks you're wonderful. He just loves spending time with you. He just loves those moments with you where you just say, Father, I'm here. Mm. Here for you. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Mm. I sense my word. I sense my word.